Story number one. Pretty Little Death Worlders. Questions and Answers. The High Senate of the Stellar League was having a rather bad session. Before them stood a Burma, forensic scientist who had been tasked by his government with examining the unfortunate Kalamadar, the wise boned and his crew. The results were not pretty. In summary, the injuries appeared to be made of some kind of slashing tool, such as a claw or a sword. Many of the crew have injuries consistent with self-defense, meaning that they had a chance to fight back. They were beheaded post-mortem, and their bodies were rearranged post-mortem on the main bridge in resting positions, meaning they were all moved. Yamada glanced at the ambassador Dalpremenar, Dal Kismanat had unsurprisingly passed on their conversation with the Dal Pramanar, who had agreed to cooperate with Yamada's investigations on an unofficial basis. Dal Pramanar had a blank expression as he read the report on the main screen. Ambassador walks with words and the shell seekers stood to speak. Thank you, Doctor. Kalmanadar the wise boned, or as his more modern phrasing, Ocean catcher's shell, bone so wisdom, was a great man. An honor to our people and our league. The crew of the anthropologist's folly were also very talented people. It is a terrible shame that we have lost them to such a way. There was the respectful murmurs of agreement. There is no doubt in my mind, after reading the reports and hearing the honest doctor's words, that this was murder. I cannot fathom who would have done such a thing, or why, but we must know that we can bring the perpetrators to justice and let the victim's souls rest. Jeers, hoots, and stamps of assent filled the room. Ambassador Yendanala rose onto his forehooves and added his own contributions. Ambassador walks with words. I have heard many say that they think the deaths of Kalamandar and the Van Vale are linked. I agree. Both spoke of flavor of humanity, and both were cut down for it. There is a conspiracy here. Yamada stood up perhaps a little too quickly. Ambassadors, the human race, are as troubled by this as anyone. Kalamanadar was a celebrity of sorts when he came to Earth, and his death has shocked us. I believe that the Kenyans in particular are grieving, as he was quite popular there. We too would like to get to the bottom of the situation. In fact, we've already developed a theory. It may seem unlikely, but it could be feasible. Faster than light travel was surprisingly simple, so long as you had to resolve the dark energy question. As it turned out, dark energy didn't exist only in the membrane of reality. Gravity keeps matter pinned to the main reality, real space, but once you got away from this big source of gravity, you could skip and down the membrane to your heart's content. Since matter always tries to return to real space, it will always be pulled towards the source of gravity. So, when you point yourself directly at a nearby star and fire your dark space engines, and the properties of the other membranes will cause you to pop out near the target star with a ludicrously short amount of real time. The biggest issue was getting the energy needed to make the jump. A small ship with a big dark engine could make up to four jumps before having to refuel. A large ship would need a very large set of engines, and even then could likely do it only once. 
Because of this, the Stellar League had carefully crafted a map of local space that showed all of the shortest paths between stars. The second biggest issue was time. The properties of light meant that the information could be passed through the dark space very quickly, an hour delay at most, but a massive fully crewed ship would take a week to make the single short journey through dark space. This was incredibly fast compared to the speeds in real space, but was still a problem for a large space-faring civilization. And so, a compromise was formed. A three-dimensional map of Yuada and a group and conspirators were looking at consisted of twelve colored blobs of varying sizes, which each centered on a homeworld. Each of these blobs represented a sovereign territory of a civilization. Between them were the dimmer shades of the aptly named Between, real space not legally owned by any civilization, but open to all citizens of the League. The Between was a weird place, politically speaking. Its worlds were filled with anarchic communes, isolationist philosophers, retirement habitats, criminal enterprises, and anything else that might pop up in the cracks of a civilization. The Stellar League had authority over the area, but people were largely left to their own devices. The SST Anthropology's folly left the Sirius system on the edge of the human space at 15-19-568, said Kolezek, that pointed at the system on the map, and headed into the between system at 7x0-3ty, which is largely abandoned. Say for the 7XO commune on the asteroid belt, the ship refueled at the commune station. We've been given proof that they maintained the teams there and then left. That's as much as we know. Everyone made affirmative gestures. Quilzak continued. Now it's three jumps from 7X0 to 3TY, the Bama territory, and from there it's another two to the Great Shell. The route the ship should have taken appeared on screen but they never showed up at the next station on the route. Instead, they showed up in the Great Shell System eight standard days later. Dead. Rosales, the lead human physicist, raised her hand for attention. Kolzak gestured to her. Did any of the other stations along the way notice any unusual dark space traffic? Good question, and no. There was no unaccounted for entrances or exits of any real space systems in that region of space, in that eight-day span. Rosanna's brown deeply. She flipped through the schematics and details of the unfortunate ship on her data screen, making a couple of calculations on a notepad as she did. Okay, there is no chance that the folly had the resources for that. She pushed the data into the middle of the table so that everyone could see it. The smaller the ship, the quicker the journey. So the folly could do a jump in a day, then one day to refuel in real space. But in order to keep that speed, it has to have the smallest engine practical. Large engine means to pull more through dark space. So it can do a jump in a day, but it could only do one day's jump at a time. Eight days, it could never have gotten out of dark space. The low priest Yuzak raised two finger arms for attention. I'm a theologist, not a physicist, so I'm not familiar with the concerns of your space travel. But a thought has just come to me. Can two ships interact in dark space? No, low priest, they can't, Kalzek replied. Ah, uh, one classic problem of space travel, I assume. It keeps the dark space safe for travelers. Yamada made a rather deliberate cough. 
No one wanted to get caught in the back-and-forth dialogue with two nodes of the same hive mind. What one of them thought the other would pick up on immediately. It was quite frustrating to a single mind. Which means there is no way that we could have been attacked in dark space, she asks. Yezek chittered in agreement. Precisely my point. They have to be entered into another system at some point in order to be attacked. There was a burst of discussion and disagreement as everyone present tried to work out how that was possible. Yamada chewed a lip and thought the possibilities over. Option 1. The folly indeed entered the real space system, and this had been covered up. This left a problem of motive, unfortunately. Why would anyone do that? There were no signs of looting or searching, so it couldn't be pirates. Compromising every signal node in the system would be quite a feat. You need a good reason to do it. Option 2. The folly had been attacked in dark space. Impossible, unless they were completely wrong about how dark space work. And that was some unfortunate implications. Yamada noticed that the doozy scientist sitting near her was shuffling in his seat. He had a distinct look to someone who wanted to say something, but couldn't find the right moment for the conversation. Are you okay? Oh, um... He rustled his leaves awkwardly. Well, I have a theory, but it's so unlikely. Let's hear it. Well, you see, there is a way that this can work. A sufficiently massive celestial body, positioned right in the body's path, could have forced it out of dark space early. A rogue planets and asteroids are everywhere in the galaxy. Rosalus was listening in and shook her head. You're right, that's very unlikely. Space is huge. The odds of a planetoid being in that ship's path when these attackers wanted it to be. They would have had to have piloted it themselves. She froze. Then she unfroze and leapt to her feet. The room went silent at the move. Ah! Listen. This might sound stupid, but has anyone developed a technology to move planet-sized bodies over long distances? There was a chorus of negatives. Kolzak tilted his head thoroughly as the doozy explained the theory. Unlikely indeed, Kolzak said. It would have to be quite a large body, requiring large engines the likes of which was only a conceptual right now. Like the size of a small moon, said one of the members of Rosetta's team. His co-workers in his right cracked a grin. That's no moon, he might have groaned. Dal Kismanat looked at her, confused. Huh? Pop culture reference, there is some very popular science fiction movies from a long time ago, in which the villains had a moon-sized space station equipped with the planet's destroying weapon. One of the Zafadi scientists tapped a few calculations on his data screen, then every single Zephyr in the room flinched in unified horror. Every sensor has been checked a dozen times. There's no way that the folly could have entered another recorded system. But they also couldn't be attacked in dark space. Building a space station the size of a moon might actually be easier than putting an engine into a moon. And it could be piloted right into the folly's path without us ever noticing. The room went gold. Are you seriously saying, Yamada asked in a disbelieving voice, that somebody's built a goddamn Death Star? Nobody in the High Senate seemed convinced that Rosanus and her companions had made a good argument out of it, but it was just too far-fetched. This is a ludicrous idea, said the Afru ambassador. I am aware, Rolazanus replied calmly, which is why we looked into it further. We borrowed a couple of dark space field sensors from our good friends the Doozy, 
and sent them on the same course the anthropologist's folly seems to have taken. Polaris, could you please show the ambassadors the readings? Of course, Dr. Rizalus. The large screen that Polaris had lowered changed to show a series of readings from the sensors. To explain what we are seeing, these are the levels of field warping being applied to the dark space field by gravity. The larger readings indicate larger bodies, though the more active dark engines cause extreme amounts of warping which these sensors can see. Thank you, Polaris. As you can see, this there is a large warp spike pathway through the course, which doesn't correspond to any known systems, but which is too big to just be a rogue body of some kind. A moon-sized space station with an appropriately sized dark engine matches the readout perfectly. The relevant calculations popped up on screen to the average person. They looked like a bunch of confusing scribbles. To the physicists and engineers in the audience, however, they looked utterly terrifying. However, we are aware that this is still a ridiculous theory, Rosannis continued, so we did a more practical test. We should be getting the results from it in about a minute or so. Walks with words rose to his full height, staring directly at Rosellus. You do realize that there is no civilization in this league with the capacity to build something like this, correct? Yes. The bluntness by which she had made it all present were a little nervous. Dr. Rosannus, we're receiving a signal from the probe. Excellent. Everyone, we have sent a small probe with a very basic engine to spot what the readings were detecting. Polaris, please put the probe's camera feed on screen. One moment, please. The screen was caught in a rush of static and then cleared to show a crude camera feed. It gave one the sense that the humans had literally stuck a camera and transmitted it to an engine and shot it out into space. They hadn't, of course. They put some shielding on it, too. The grainy feed was at the edge of the body's gravitational warping range. In this distance, the black shape blocked out the stars that should be visible. It was a dim and distant, but there was something there. Actually, there was more than one. There was a big one, and then there were several stars seemed to be winking out and reappearing for no reason. One of these regions was getting bigger and moving faster, until it was right upon the crude probe. Then... There was a flash of light and the feet cut out. The high senate had never been quieter. Millions of miles away, War Queen Paya Marani, breaker of worlds, killer of cowards, ringer of peace, listened to a report from one of the lesser patrol captains with amusement. Well, 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 she said. They found us. End of story.